Manny. Gabriel, <laughs> <laughs> what noise was that? <laughs> That's the Cardi B robot mouse voice. Yeah. Manny. <laughs> there you have it. Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast that wants you to know a little secret. We can never, ever run out of money. And yes, we can all have unicorns. (laughs) Today we have Laura, Ambria, Walida. And Kellen. So um, before we get started, um, we wanted to let y'all know about this cool um, Patreon uh, campaign we have going on right now, where if um, we get 100 new patrons that will support us at $4.20 a month or more, um, by the end of March, we will all get extraordinarily stoned. And record a Patreon exclusive 420 episode talking all things weed. So you should get on that if you've been kind of like dragging your feet and haven't decided to support us monetarily yet. You know, now's your chance if you want to hear us get extremely silly. Money. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Oh, I'm real. Right. Let's get into this. Let's talk money. Let's fucking do it. So it's episode 69, baby. So there's uh, no better way. Nice. To, <laughs> there's no better way to celebrate than talking about dense theoretical economics. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously. All right. Uh, especially on a Sunday morning. It's right, great. Of We're course. Great. Uh, today we are tackling uh, the subject of modern monetary theory or MMT. Essentially, the starting place for this theory is that government spending is truly limitless, and the only limits that are actually placed on them are resources and assets, most of which don't come into play when we talk about government spending. Yeah, so it's this trendy new theory that's been around for a couple of decades, but it's getting a lot of attention now because um, there's some politicians and economists that are going around talking about this theory and how we can't actually ever really run out of money. And uh, it's changing the conversation about, you know, quote, how we're going to pay for things. Um, That whole conversation is starting to ramp up. So this is something that we've been interested in and we've been learning about and reading about. We wanted to bring it to you all. And we did take your questions from Twitter. We are probably going to be answering all of them throughout and something else, because this is a really dense topic, we are probably going to be repeating a lot of things throughout Mm -hmm. um, just so it sticks and resonates and you understand what we're talking about when we talk about the debt, the deficit, treasury bonds, uh, quantitative easing, all that stuff. So, um, we're going we're gonna to take you through it. We're going to speak clearly, and probably by the end of this, you'll all understand what it is. Um, we're going to be uh, using a lot of Stephanie Kelton's and some other economists' examples and illustrations to, to demonstrate what it is and what it means. Um, so I think by the end of it, you'll all understand exactly what modern monetary theory is. Then you'll just like casually slip it into conversation with people because that's yeah. like super <laughs> normal. On dates, on Tinder dates. 
I will be one of the people learning about this today uh, because I actually don't know anything about this. So just so all our listeners know, I am here for the ride and to say the Cardi B robot money voice and (laughs) no other reason. I just came to hang out with my girls. We're so glad you're here with us. Um, So this whole theory basically came out of the basics of macroeconomic theory in a lot of ways, Um, specifically the ideas that spending equals income. And here we're talking about the circular flow of money on a macroeconomic scale. So in this instance, on a governmental scale or nationwide scale, when there's no spending, there's no income. Right. So like, Laura's talking about this spending equals income thing. Basically what that means is that for any one actor or group or side of that equation to make money, that is to have an income, a different actor or group or basically the other side of the equation has to spend money. So when we think about prosperity, we have to think about spending. Right. You got to spend to create the income or prosperity on the other side of the equation. Which is where most macroeconomic jugheads who run our economic policy get this shit wrong. And we've seen throughout history that when governments expand their net spending, which means they spend more than they are actively generating, that economies on the whole are more prosperous. We saw it in 1997 in Japan and in the 1930s in the U.S. The orthodox neoclassical capitalists would suggest that austerity measures Austerity measures or squeezing slash halting spending would create a more prosperous time. But MMT suggests the opposite. Yeah. And there's also a different version of getting it wrong, which is supply side economics, which some other some of you may be familiar is sort of like Reaganomics, that area Mm -hmm. of thinking. Um, which suggests that if you give rich people more money, like you don't tax them, uh, you get rid of regulations, that sort of thing, um, they will spend that money and then make the people on the other side of the equation, aka everybody else, more prosperous. The problem with supply side economics is that rich people tend not to spend money in ways that create prosperity for everybody else. Although a lot of people advocating supply side economics actually probably know that full well, and they just want that upward redistribution of wealth. Totally. And also, it should be clear that throughout this whole thing, Kellen and I are both using quotes around the term prosperous, because we Mm -hmm. know that even in times of prosperity, people are disproportionately affected through the class struggle, which Walida will touch on a bit later as well. Right. So to talk about MMT and like, what that theory means it all of that relies on this idea that there is a closed circuit of money so the u.s government to build on this example prints the dollar nobody else in theory can produce dollars the u.s government also introduces dollars into the economy through spending so that means that all of the dollars we have out in the world come from the u.s government putting them out there And I'm talking slowly. I hope this doesn't sound patronizing, uh, but there's just a lot going on here. So anyway, when the government spends, that's putting money into the economy, the private sector, as economists would say. So when the government taxes, it removes money from the private sector. Following this logic, when the government has a deficit, that means the government has injected more money into the private sector than it has collected back through taxes. And for the private sector, that's actually a good thing. 
Um, the opposite of this is a government surplus, which means the government has removed more money from the private sector than it has put back out there by spending. This is one of the basic ideas behind MMT. And it's like, it's so simple that it's almost confusing, but like, but in a closed circuit where, you know, everything is basically for our purpose, simplified either into government or private sector, government spending literally just means more money in the private sector. Even the terms we use to describe the way that the government spends and taxes is misleading. So in the words of MMT uh, economist, and I hope I get this pronunciation right, Yeban Arisian and Randall Ray, private debt, meaning like banks debt or our personal debt, is debt. But government debt is financial wealth for the private sector. Exactly. So um, to illustrate what Kellen just described, to make it a little bit sort of more intuitive to understand, um, I'm going to I'm going to go through a little bit of an example here that um, Stephanie Kelton, one of the uh, economists that's a huge proponent of this theory, gives in her talks. So imagine like the four of us are playing Monopoly, right? I'm the central bank and the rest of you are the people in the economy. I have a monopoly on creating money. Only I can create it, only I can will it into existence, only I can spend it. It is also the only currency I accept as a tax. You can't pay me in anything other than these dollars that I create. And trust so me, what- I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, she has. Um, <laughs> so, so let's start the game. I'm taxing each of you $10 right now. But you can't pay it to me because I, as the central bank, have not created it into existence yet. So poof, I have now decided that I have created $1,000. I now have $1,000 as a central bank, as the only issuer of currency. I give each of you $100. That's There's three of you. So now I have a deficit. Me, the central bank, the public purse, has a deficit of $300. You have a surplus of $300. That's what the deficit is. The deficit is just an accounting of how much currency, how much money we have spent into the economy versus how much we have taxed back. Okay, so now you have $300 surplus in your economy. I have a $300 deficit. I am asking you to give me, actually I'm demanding, I have the coercive power of the state. (laughs) I'm demanding um, that you give me $10 back in taxes. So now each of you give me $10. I have now taxed back $30 out of that $300. I now have a deficit of $270, and each of you have a surplus of $90 or $270 total in the economy. So when you hear the words government deficit, change it in your head to mean a national surplus mm. into the in the actual economy. So now that I have this $270 deficit, it is, it is a debt that I hold against myself. It is money that I have spent out that has not been paid back by anything or anyone. So what I do is I change that from my debt into a government bond or a treasury. I then take that $270 treasury and I sell it to, say, Laura, who now holds my $270 debt as a treasury bond, which you pay me in cash. So now my accounting is straight. I've got I have this outstanding debt of $270 that you have you now hold for me, which pays interest, right? Treasury bonds are just that, the converted debt of the federal government. They're mostly held by banks, also in our retirement accounts for those who have them, in some private hands, but generally they are mostly held by the banking sector. 
they're a very safe investment. They pay interest regularly. There's there's no such thing as a sort of bond that you know collapses and goes bad and is and can't be paid back. Um, the government buys and sells those bonds strategically, which is what quantitative easing is, in order to manage the economy, manage deficits and surplus, manage inflation. It's it's basically quantitative easing. This selling, strategic buying and selling of government bonds is an economic tool to manage various aspects of, of a given economy. Um, the national debt is just the total number of bonds plus interest that the government owes. That's that's currently being held out in, in the economy by, by others. So no, our grandchildren will quote, never have to pay for that. They, they're not gonna have to pay for it. That's a very silly thing to say. The deficit is not something we have to care about being large. Mm. It is just an accounting of how much is out versus collected back. That's all it is. That's all the deficit tells us. What has the government created and put into the economy versus what it has taxed back or taken back in? The debt is a reflection of that deficit and is quote, paid back in that the government owes interest on those outstanding bonds. So these are things for us to pay attention to only insofar as to understand part of the health of, of any given economy, of our economy. Yeah, exactly. Um, the national debt isn't our liability. It's our asset. So when we hold government bonds, which pay interest, we are making money. It's the money the government, which literally creates the money, owes us. The national debt is a record of how many outstanding bonds there are currently out there that we hold in savings. Another name for it could be the U.S. dollar savings amount. Um, and this is like a lot of fucking money. Um, <laughs> they're safe, liquid, risk-free, and they pay interest. The national debt isn't our debt. It's just the debt the government owns. Buying and selling them, as the government does, is just an accounting tool to manage bank reserves, inflation, interest rates between bank borrowing. Again, this is repetition, but we're just trying to like hammer it home. Um, so what's important here is that this is just one is this is just currently one way the government, the money creating body, manages and controls inflation. How much money is in private savings and the interest rates? Eliminating national debt means eliminating the treasury bonds. It eliminates savings. So again, um, going back to like what Walida was saying of like the narrative of this will be offloaded onto our grandchildren. Like when we've tried to pay back the national debt before, um, so the national debt was being paid down from the late 1800s through the mid-1920s, and we paid it down by creating government surplus. So they taxed back more than they spent, and guess what fucking happened? The Great Depression. Um, the last time we did that was under, it was in the 90s under President Clinton. We had a surplus and paid down the national debt. And by 2001, the recession started. So why does paying down debt do that? In broad strokes, because more money was taken from the economy and given to pay down the debt. So consumers took on more debt, housing and dot-com bubbles burst, and people went bankrupt. So all of that debt, like, quote unquote, national debt was offloaded onto individuals, which is like really important because it doesn't matter when it's in the governmental body, but obviously it matters in the material conditions of individuals. Um, OK, so 
Are you still with us here? Here we go. <laughs> I'm riveted. I just. Yeah, where are you, Ambria? Get, get <laughs> That's yeah, the only Ambria's joke we like, have for this whole episode. Like, what? I... <laughs> Mini. <laughs> so, when we're thinking about MMT, we're thinking about nations who are fiscally sovereign, meaning they print their own currency. So, this wouldn't necessarily hold true for the individual nations of the Eurozone or for anyone whose currency is tied to another nation. But when we're thinking of nations like the United States, we're printing our own currency. We're in charge of how much money flows through our economy in a sovereign way. So again, in the basic understanding of MMT, if a nation prints their own currency, has their own national banks, which controls interest rates, and they don't sell debt in a foreign currency, they can never run out of money. There are literally no limits to how much they can spend on national interests. So anytime we hear a president or whoever leads a nation say, we're running out of money, that shit is bonkers and not at all true. Again, this is only for nations who have a sovereign currency. So in nations like Germany or Greece who surrendered their currency to the euro, that statement could actually be true. Right. So let's take just one step back and talk about currency and money. So... What is currency and what is money? So currency is just a thing that, you know, is used to as a medium of exchange for goods and services. And sometimes that currency is money. Um, It's called money. So when we say fiat money, which is what our fiat currency, which is something the United States currently has, uh, what we mean is the currency is created by fiat or decree. We just will it into existence, specifically the Federal Reserve bank wills it into existence. The money is invented, which means we can, as Laura said, just make as much of it as we want. And we will get into what the sort of limits are on that later. The limits are not what we are told they are. The limits are something um, very different that kind of can change the way we look at the federal budget and how a a government that creates a, a fiat currency spends its money. We we changed this during the depression. Before that, we were on the gold standard, which means the value of the dollar was pegged to the value of gold, um, uh, to, to put it sort of basically. Uh, we changed to a fiat currency because we were in a, in a depression and we needed to spend. We needed to spend money to put it back into the economy that had just collapsed, um, which is why we got the New Deal, which is why we got all of this money being spent into the economy by the government. They willed it into existence and spent it and pulled us out of a, pulled us out of a depression. Absolutely. And it's worth noting, so like some of you may have heard that money is something that has value because we all agree that it does, right? We kind of hear this in like economics 101 classes, which is like also so fucking annoying. Like I just, anytime I think about any like intro to economics classes, I'm just like, oh, for fuck's sake. Okay. Anyway. Can it was I such share bullshit. a brief anecdote there? Yes. Yes. So um, my econ, I don't know if it's 100 or 101, because I took both. Um, My econ, one of those classes, whatever was macro, I had a professor who served on Bush's like Council of Economic Advisors, second Bush. Um, And one of the points that he made in class was that the free market would naturally eradicate racism. So anyway, I'm just waiting mm-hmm. for that to happen. It mm-hmm. hasn't happened yet, but any day now, we're going to get there. <laughs> That's all. Continue. Wow, what an also, idiot. 
Yeah, I totally wrote that in my diary when I was like 15. That the free market was going to eradicate retail. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Dear no, diary. Previous point <laughs> that um, oh, that money only has value because we all decide it does. It's only real because we make it real. It's like it's literally just paper. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> sort of, but Laura's go right. Go so, like, this is sort of true, but mostly money has value because it's what our government taxes us in. If a money making entity has the coercive power of taxation, that power's currency has value, it has demand. So, thought experiment you know, don't have to dig too far for this example, but consider a colonial power landing on foreign shores somewhere searching for natural resources. They find a place that's already inhabited, and they offer to buy those resources. But the natives don't use that money. So instead of politely leaving those people alone, and because they have the coercive power, aka guns and military, they force a tax on the population, which they offer to give them in exchange for their labor, probably extracting those resources for them as well along the way. Now, there's a need for that currency to pay that tax or face punishment. So now that currency has value there. Yeah, so this might actually shed new light on um, the conservative uh, talking point or phrasing that taxation is slavery. Um, In the particular case that Laura just gave us, it sure is. It sure is slavery. Um, And that's how a lot of colonial powers coerce labor from from the peoples that they, you know, uh, occupied. Um, Okay, so let's go a little bit into how federal spending looks right now. So currently, federal spending, this is what happens. Congress passes a budget. They include some amount of taxes they're expected to collect, maybe introduce more taxes, uh, to, quote, pay for some of it, pay for some of that spending. And the rest, the Federal Reserve Bank decrees into existence by fiat. That money is then spent into... um, You know, social programs the government spends on into various federal departments uh, and specifically to banks and in turn contractors. So those banks then lend the money out at interest uh, to invest um, in new companies. Uh, They give it out as home loans, student loans, credit cards. You you get the point. Um, And then they get a return on that money. In essence, right now, it is the private bankers and investors that decide what is produced Um, and for whom, and who are the main beneficiaries currently of our fiat currency, right? Our military contractors get as much as they want, our banks, our pharmaceutical industry and research and development, they get the line items, they get the budgets um, they're budgeted for, and we get austerity to, quote, pay for that. So then what are the limits? If we can just spend whatever we want, if we can just will as much money as we want into existence, then why don't we just all get a million dollars? Right? Why don't I just have a million dollars? Yeah, why um, don't you? <laughs> I know. I, I don't know. It's infuriating. But we turns don't out, some money. Money. Yes. <laughs> all I want is money. <laughs> well, Ambria, here's a here's a reason why you can't have a million dollars. Fuck, you're so. There is actually okay. Fine, go ahead. There is actually a reason for it. So, to answer that question, I want to tell an anecdote that um, I think Stephanie Kelton gave in one of her talks, uh, which you should all watch on YouTube. They're really great. But basically, Alan Greenspan, who, if you don't know who he is, the former uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank. He was, I don't know, a decade, decade and a half ago, he was in Congress uh, 
basically um, responding to questions from a congressional committee. I forget which committee it was, but Paul Ryan was the one asking the questions. And Paul Ryan was asking specifically about Social Security because Paul Ryan has a boner for had a boner for privatizing Social Security. I mean, they all do. But like, in essence, what he was asking Alan Greenspan was, look, since Social Security is going to collapse and it's not solvent, shouldn't we, instead of, you know, keep uh, increasing the national, the deficit in order to keep paying out Social Security benefits, which are going to explode when the boomers retire, shouldn't we instead ease that deficit and move these Social Security payments from the public purse, in other words, from government spending into the private sector? Shouldn't we just move it into the stock market? Um, Alan Greenspan did not respond the way Paul Ryan wanted him to respond. He, he Alan Greenspan sat, sits for a few seconds quietly and, and answers the question by saying, well, no, um, we can create as much money as we want for all future Social Security payments and pay them out. That's That's not what the problem of Social Security is. The problem is, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, it's not exactly what he said, but I'm interpreting what he, what he meant when he said, is he said, well, when we have all of these people that are retiring and we are paying out all of these Social Security checks to, to a non-productive population, in other words, they retire, they're not working, they're not producing anything for the economy, um, but they still have all this income that they want to, that they're going to spend, Will the rest of the economy, the productive part of the economy, be productive enough to absorb all of that money that we are putting into it? In other words, can we avoid inflation? Are we going to have an economy productive enough to be able to absorb the supply of money that we are going to be putting into the economy? And Paul Ryan's face just falls because that's not the answer he wanted, right? The answer he wanted was, you're right, we're going to eventually run out of money and not be able to pay the Social Security checks. But Alan Greenspan understands what fiat currency is because he's the, he's the one that wills it into existence, right? He's the chairman of the Federal Reserve. So his he, he answers Paul Ryan in a way that made sense. No, we are always going to be able to pay for Social Security. The problem is, are we going to be paying these tens of billions, if not trillions of dollars, and then have an economy that can that can handle all of that money that's in it? Mm-hmm. Inflation and the supply of money in the con- in the economy, therefore, is one of those limits. So to have more money circulating than there are goods or services to be bought, means we are looking at an oversupply of money and therefore a rising of prices. That is an infl- that is inflation. There needs to be enough resources to meet the needs and wants of a society and enough labor to produce them. Otherwise, we're just putting money into an economy for no reason and it's going to cause problems. So then this is where taxes come in. So why are taxes? Why do we collect them? Um, there's a lot of there's lots of reasons to collect taxes, the least of which is to pay for things. Because as I hope we've demonstrated, taxes are not the main source or any source at all, really, of government spending. They're not a source. Taxes are taxes are just money they're taking back that they've already put in there. So ta- all taxes are are a useful economic tool to do various things. So if there's too much money in an economy and we're reaching unhealthy levels of inflation, we can use taxation as a mechanism to control the amount of money that's out in the economy. So we tax some of it back to control inflation and to and to make sure that that the supply and demand of money and goods and services is even, that, that we can control it. If there's severe wealth inequality, like we see now, we can use taxation as a tool to remedy that, to redistribute that wealth. We put a tax on wealth 
we, we take that money from that huge wealthy bubble that's on the tail end of the distributive curve. We collect it back uh, or we redistribute it to the part of the tail end of the curve that doesn't have any money. So basically the rest of us. Um, and to, to basically attain whatever the intended goal is. If the intended goal is to reduce inflation, they just tax it back. If the intended goal is to redistribute wealth more evenly so that more people have money to spend on the goods and services that are being reproduced, re uh, then it's a re redistributive tax. Um, but that's really all taxation is at the end of the day. It's an economic tool that can be useful to help manage the health of an economy. Right. So like, and this is, I'm, I'm going to sort of rehash some of what um, Walida and Laura have been saying. And as we've established, it's uh, only because I think some of this stuff is so contrary to what, how people generally think about the economy that kind of repeating it and going through it will hopefully be helpful. Apologies to those of you who are already economics experts and are probably not even listening anymore. But anyway, so Another point that MMT economics make about taxation and its origins is that um, sort of like what Laura was saying, taxation in government issued currency is or, you know, was once upon a time a way to legitimate that currency. And I think it's hard for us sometimes to wrap our minds around how new, relatively speaking, our monetary system is. Although, of course, like on and off, there have been monetary regimes for centuries, like Roman coins, thinking about you, you know, we found them all across Europe, Asia and the Mediterranean. Um, so obviously that was in circulation. But, um, you know, thinking about the American context, even in the early days of post-revolutionary America, you had individual states making their own currency. You had individual banks producing banknotes, which were essentially IOUs that meant you could pull other currency from the bank, but which you could also exchange in a marketplace for goods, allowing someone else to take that IOU and cash it in. Uh, so that's kind of a, a sort of currency. Basically, the landscape of exchange and currency varied super widely. So one way, uh, as Laura suggested, that you get people using a currency is to demand they pay taxes in that currency. Um, it also is sort of a tool of self-legitimation for regimes. So, you know, not only are you printing money and then getting people to use that money by demanding taxes in that same form of money, um, you know, you're f not only are are you forcing your state's currency into circulation, you're also like strengthening that currency because if the currency has the backing of the state, if it's the only currency the state is willing to accept, then the currency has to be at least as stable as the state. So obviously that's a little bit less relevant to the modern era. Today in the United States, as Walida suggested, taxation is much more useful for um, controlling inflation, redistributing wealth, or you know at least limiting the ability of individuals or corporations to gain and hoard wealth um, and so on. And maybe those are a little bit more interesting for our purposes. So how is this connected to Marxist theories and how does it impact them? Great question, Ambria. Yes, thank you. Yeah, that Ambria. is a great question. Wow. That, is my, that is the one thing that I had on the document, everybody. That <laughs> <laughs> Money. Like, what about Marx? <laughs> um, what about Marx? So, so, okay. So here is what modern monetary theory is not. It is not a replacement for class struggle. It is not a solution to one's social relation to the means of production, right? It doesn't get rid of the capitalist class. It doesn't automatically turn us into a socialist society from a capitalist one. Um, 
MMT is really just a kind of revolutionary way of thinking about how current liberal governments who have a fiat currency make and spend money, which is something that generally has been really obscured from most people. I mean, politicians understand how this works, right? To give another example, uh, Joe Biden um, on the campaign trail in 2009, I believe it was, uh, well, it wasn't a campaign trail, actually. What he was doing was he was going around talking about why the bank bailouts were necessary um, and how they were going to pay for it. And in essence, he said, you know, people tell me I'm crazy when I said we have to spend uh, in order to not go broke. But yeah, that's what I'm telling you. We have to spend to not go broke. And what he was in essence saying was we have to invent the money to give these banks uh, their bailout funds, because if we don't, the economy is going to collapse. He was talking about he was talking about exactly this. We have current we have a fiat currency, so we're going to make all of this money, and that's how we're going to pay for the bank bailouts, right? So, so the budget itself, you know, is still a moral document, as we've heard Congresswoman Ocasio Cortez say, right? And modern monetary theory is a useful framework for thinking about socializing basic needs and for kneecapping the capitalist class one industry at a time where necessary. So what does that mean? Well, that means, you know, the way our money has been created has been true for nearly a century, right? Like I said earlier, you know, during the Great Depression, we moved from a gold standard to the to a fiat currency. Um, I don't think completely, but mostly. I think the gold standard ended actually in the early 1970s. But um, so we have all this money that we could create out of nowhere, but we still don't have universal health care. We're still talking about the solvency uh, of Social Security and whether or not it's going to run out. We're still we still destroy entire generations with student debt. Um, we still have almost no socialized housing. We still have people who are homeless. So despite money being endless and despite every official understanding that our currency works this way, we still have not, quote, spent our way out of homelessness or hunger or medically with uh, the uninsured or with debt. Because who is in charge of production and who is in charge of the budget, who is in charge of our government is still a huge asterisk on this theory, right? A society still has to be productive and the way it produces still matters. Are we still producing in a in a system that is capitalist or are we producing in a system that is that is socialist where the workers control the means of production? Um, we, we still have to create all the goods and services for an economy or else we will be looking at massive inflation and economic collapse, which is Again, what Alan Greenspan was talking about when he spoke to Paul Ryan on, on uh, in that congressional committee hearing. So, yeah, and um, different folks have different understandings of what an economy would look like under socialism or communism. So obviously it gets tricky talking about, uh, you know, trying to compare those visions um, with today when those visions can be so different. But whatever your understandings of a socialist or communist economy are, MMT is not describing those things. So Stephanie Kelton, the economist at Stony Brook University, who whom Walid has, has mentioned, um, is one of the main thinkers sort of crafting our understanding of MMT. And she's got this anecdote that she tells, I guess, when she's in a room of rich people who are all very skeptical of MMT because they've heard it's this lefty thing. And she tells them that they don't have to worry because what, you know, what MMT says is that taxation isn't actually necessary for all these social programs. And, you know, the government is in charge of the flows of currency. And so they don't need to take from billionaires to make shit possible. Um, I read about this anecdote in an article about her and all the billionaires are like, oh, ha, 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 we like this lady after all. Um, I think we have to really push back on that, that logic for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, and most obviously, 
people only get billions of dollars through exploitation. Um, MMT is not inherently redistributive, redistributive, redistributive. I don't know. You know what I'm saying. Um, and it doesn't, as Walita was suggesting, inherently like shake up class relations. It does not change who owns the means of production. It does suggest ways that basic so social services are well within the realm of possibility for our government. So I, I think that's where the interest comes in, um, especially on the left. And, and as Walita suggested earlier, it does have the potential to create non-reformist reforms, you know, just meaning that like when people don't have to worry about making rent because there's a housing guarantee, which we know we can afford because of MMT, they, people then have more brain space and likely time to devote to organizing and to class struggle. Um, but making use of MMT is not a panacea. And when we're talking about MMT, another thing I think that it is important to recognize is that there is this insistence on a private sector. And um, the private sector, by this reckoning, is everything in the economy outside the government, which, again, depending on, <laughs> depending on who you talk to, would still exist in socialism if everything's not nationalized, um, you know, and if there is a functioning state apparatus. I don't want to get into whether or not this is socialism. Please do not at me. This is not the <laughs> episode. Thank you. I swear to God, if anyone ats Kellen, I, you'll have to deal with me, which is just like, <laughs> you don't want to, you don't, you don't want to. Okay. I am We're mid two fists and they're looking forward to meeting your face. <laughs> I am mid adding Kellen right now. I'm like in the middle of doing it. I'm like adding her about this and I'm so excited for Laura to fight me. I yeah. Ambria, yeah. I'm ready also, ready and willing. Wow, <laughs> a lot more problems than I anticipated. Um but back to back to MMT. <laughs> right. So all of that aside, um you know, this this is a, a theory of economics that is describing a capitalist economy. And so that's really important to keep in mind is that um, everything that, it, that it's talking about is describing the world sort of as it is now. And it's not the kind of thing that I think we can totally carry. I mean, the idea that the government can create money, yes, but a lot of it is not something that would translate one-to-one -one into a communist or socialist economy. But that's fine. I, I think uh, my issue partly with MMT can be the way that it's used or the or way that it, that it can be used and can be harnessed, um, you know, for the benefit of the ruling class. So Walita talked earlier about Joe Biden and he's using the ideas behind MMT in 2009 to rationalize the bank bailouts at the same time as our society was insisting, you know, we can't inject that money into the economy to forgive the debt that those banks created for ordinary citizens, um, you know, like where, where and for whom uh, we see these theories being put into use by our government, I think is very telling. Um, you know, we also, I mentioned earlier, just a few minutes, seconds, whatever ago, um, that Professor Kelton has framed MMT as meaning, you know, don't worry, we don't actually have to tax you to make these things possible mm -hmm. when talking to bourgeois audiences. And so I think what all of that means is, is that there's definitely a reactionary way to talk about MMT or to use MMT that's reminiscent in some ways um, to me of the logic behind people like Elon Musk supporting UBI, universal right. basic income. Like you can, right. you can give people 
there are ways to think about giving people a basic standard of living while still maintaining massive wealth disparities, um, in essence, and while still maintaining capitalism. And obviously, that's not what we want. Yes. Right. And that's that's actually a very important point, especially with the UBI, because the libertarian um, uh, support of UBI is exists because they, they want it to replace any and all other types of government spending. So let's just give you, you know, 50 grand a year, but uh, everything is privatized. You still have to pay for your own retirement, your own school, your own health care, your own housing, all of it. And when when you have a government that doesn't actually belong to the people and isn't democratically run and owned by the people when it's owned by the ruling class then that ubi is actually a, a type of slavery it really is a way to control a population how much wealth they have versus how much wealth the ruling class has so keep that in mind as we're talking about mmt um, um can i ask a question sure so um this is making me think about um I mean, why do these rich libertarians want this so badly if, you know, um, they could sort of just like have the status quo right now with the way the government supports the public? Um, and I guess I'm thinking about, um, like you said, maybe just like the ability to control society becomes more and more intense, like if it's own, if these services are only given by these private entities, or is it more like, they want people to pay for these services instead of getting them from the government. Like, why, why, why are well, libertarians? Why are libertarians <laughs> is really the question. Um, <laughs> why are libertarians? Um, that's a good question, and I, I, I think, I think it's because, you know, as jobs become automated, um, and as, as unemployment starts to rise because of it people are not going to have the money to spend to buy the things that the capitalist class needs us to buy. Um, so the UBI is their answer for that. It's like, okay, well, let robots take all of your jobs, uh, everybody. That's fine. What we'll just do is give you a stipend to then spend on the stuff that we have decided to produce for all of you. And it takes away, it takes away any democratic decisions on what to produce, it puts all of the power of production into their hands. I mean, not very different from what it looks like today. It's just taken to the extreme. And really, it's a way for them to safeguard their own wealth and powers of production. Because if, as long as we have at least some money to spend, just enough of it to spend to survive on the stuff that they want to sell us, then to them, a UBI is a way to save, in essence, save the capitalist system from itself. Right. It, it's it's their response to the inherent contradiction of capitalism, whereas ours is completely different. Does that answer your question? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully it answers it for everyone listening, too. Um, yeah. So why should we care now? And like, what's the significance now? So let's quickly, again, to repeat what we've talked about already, just so that it really sticks. What have we learned so far? So we have learned that we are, we operate in a, with a fiat currency, which means we can never run out of it. We decree it into existence. We have learned the natural limits on how much money to put out into the economy has to do more with resources and inflation than, than ever running out of it. We have learned that the deficit and the debt are merely accounting tools. That's what they really are. 
So I think now the main usefulness of MMT is pushing back against a narrative of the capitalist class, Democrats and Republicans alike, um, have have inundated us with, that we have no money to pay for our needs, or at the very least to pay for those things which the private sector fails to provide efficiently. So it's a way to think about our current government as it exists, as a public purse, that should be responsive to uh, what what the needs of society are, things like housing, education, healthcare, childcare, food, so on and so forth. I mean, we all know what they are. Um, it destroys the austerity narrative, at least for countries with fiat currencies. Countries like Greece actually have to behave like a household budget um, because they use a euro, which they don't create, right? So they do actually have to like cut the budget here and raise taxes there to be able to balance theirs in a way that we don't. So it gives us a framework. What MMT really does is give us a framework to talk about how wealth is created created and how the federal budget is truly a moral document as it exists now. And that if we can pay for social security endlessly or war endlessly or tax cuts endlessly or bank bailouts endlessly, then we can pay for our needs endlessly. And that we are not doing so currently is a political choice, not an economic one. Mm -hmm. So it takes the ruling class to task about this lie. You know, I would use MMT to further discuss uh, to further dis- the discussion for universal health care and housing, for example, or relief of student debt. Relief of student debt would save an entire generation, two generations, so like of people. You know, we have the need, um, we have the resources, we have the labor, we have the stuff already existing in the economy that is required to spend that those trillions into the economy to provide for those things, right? All we need to consider is inflationary movement in the economy, but that's not prohibitive, right? That's just something that we need to, to, be, aware, to be aware of. So where we see needs not being fulfilled, um, where we see labor that's not being employed, what we should say is this is a failure of the capitalist system. The capitalists are unable to provide for this for whatever the reason. Uh, so we will provide it to ourselves we, because it's needed and we have the resources and the ability to create it. This is also huge for green technology, right? Something we keep hearing, quote, isn't yet profitable. Mm. But fortunately, the public purse has no need for profit, right? It can spend to fill the gaps in an economy where there is need and where there are resources to be bought, um, where, um, but it, where it's not being produced under capitalism, usually because there is no profit to be made from that thing, despite there being a need for it. Mm-hmm. So in other words, we are waging a, cl- a, we as socialists are waging a class war. We identify a class war. We see it and we are waging it to eliminate capitalism. But to win a war, you have to win a lot of battles. And MMT provides us with the right framework to fight some of those battles and weaken the capitalist class hold over certain industries like healthcare um, and pharmaceuticals and housing and student debt. It is, in essence, a way to impose death by a thousand cuts, but not against us, against them. (laughs) Yeah, mic drop, motherfuckers. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, Ambria, what are you singing? Do you know yet, Kellen, or do, do I need to? Yeah, there she is. I don't. I don't know what that is, though. I think I it's from Rocky or something. I've never actually seen Rocky. Yes, 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 yes. Fuck yeah! Um, thanks, 
to the coven for <laughs> we did it we fucking did it we just we, we asked some mmt like <laughs> experts to come on our show and they all essentially were like no <laughs> so okay we didn't need them we didn't did need it. them we fucking did it i learned so much yes good yeah and there's also i think it's definitely worth saying uh there's much more you could learn about mmt we barely got into the like Oh yeah, foreign debt aspects of it. Uh, so I would say go on Wikipedia and learn more if you want, or you know read a book. I guess because that's what you probably should actually be doing. Um, there are lots of useful podcasts out there and YouTube clips of like yes. various MMT talks and and discussions, and they're 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 gonna you know add to what we've said. Um, and they're going to make talk about things that we didn't get a chance to talk about here. Um, but it's a really fascinating theory. And it's really important that as socialists and as leftists, we approach it correctly. And we think about it correctly and we frame it correctly. Hell yeah. Word. Ambria, you want to close us out? What? Um, sure. Okay. Uh, bye, everybody. Uh, it's been <laughs> real. Um, I learned a lot. I hope you learned a lot, too. If you want to keep learning stuff with us. Um, from us and alongside us, uh, go follow us on Twitter at Season of the Bee. Donate to us on Patreon. Uh, you can Google that shit. Um, <laughs> email us, Season of the Bee at gmail.com. Tell us what you're thinking, how you're feeling, uh, maybe like the names of your pets. Um, and uh, what, what else can people do? I guess you can also follow us on Instagram. Um, yeah, uh, other than that, um, take care of yourself. We love you. Love you. Love Thanks, you. everyone. Bye, Bye y'all. Bye. Love you. Season of the Bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why we paused so long. Why is... <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. There's a dog with me, and um, I had to mute it because he's like putting his feet on the table and scooting it, and like, <laughs> he's really big. And it's okay. I can just really d- delete the space in between. It's fine. Um, I'll, I'll tweet a picture of him for our listeners. Perf. <laughs>